Hello and welcome to A History of Alexander the Great, Remastered, Episode 20, Death. What is death? What happens when we die? These are the questions we will be dealing with in this episode. Only not really. Instead, we shall look at the final days of Alexander the Great. Hephaestion was one of Alexander's companions. He had grown up with him in Macedonia and followed him across the world. He was his brother-in-law, and quite possibly his lover. They were very close, the best of friends. While at Ecbatana, where Alexander had travelled after leaving Opis, Alexander had done his usual thing, something I may have said many times and have certainly read many times before, that he held sacrifices and contests. At this time, Hephaestion was ill, and on the seventh day of his illness, things took a turn for the worse. A message was sent to Alexander, who was attending one of the contests. He rushed to Hephaestion, but his friend was dead before he arrived. If Alexander was indeed showing signs of being mentally unstable before this, the death of Hephaestion threw him over the edge. His grief was great, and Arian tries to defend him, saying the stories about him were rumours. As a reputable podcast, we shall not be delving into slanderous rumours. Just kidding. We are told that he flung himself on Hephaestion's body, and lay there crying for almost a full day until he was dragged away by his companions. Another, that he lay stretched upon the corpse for a full day and night. There are stories that he killed the doctor, Glaucius, for either giving him the wrong medicine or letting him drink too much. This would, to some extent, agree with the version of Hephaestion's death offered by Plutarch. No sooner had his physician Glaucus gone off to the theatre than he sat down for breakfast, devoured a boiled fowl, and washed it down with a great cool full of wine. His fever quickly mounted, and soon afterwards he died. See Plutarch, Alexander, chapter 72. So, these tales show Alexander grieving, and while I don't know if they are true, I can easily imagine Alexander crying for a whole day by his best friend's side, before being dragged off, which does say something, even if it isn't true. Arian admits that there must be some grief, saying that it is likely that he cut his hair short in mourning, emulating Achilles, which, again, seems reasonable. But now we get into things I highly doubt, such as he personally drove Hephaestion's funeral carriage for a distance, that he ordered the shrine to Asclepius, a god of health, in Equitana to be destroyed, that he ordered the manes and tails of all horses to be shorn, that he demolished the battlements of neighbouring cities, and for a long time banned the playing of any kind of music. While these are probably exaggerations, he does seem to have fasted, held a magnificent funeral, and sent messengers to the Oracle of Ammon, asking if he could offer sacrifices to Hephaestion as a god. He was told no, but he could sacrifice to him as a demigod, on the same level as Heracles. There is a report that he forgave the governor of Egypt, Cleomenes, for terrible governance if he built a temple to Hephaestion, this is probably not true, the letter is a forgery. 
it refers to the Ferros Lighthouse in Alexandria, which had yet to be built. While Alexander was distraught, he slowly became himself again. Time is the greatest healer. I must say, though, I love Plutarch's phrasing of this. He says, To lighten his sorrow, he set off on a campaign, as if the tracking down and hunting of men might console him. And he subdued the tribe of the Cossians, massacring the whole male population from the youth upwards. See Plutarch, Alexander, chapter 72. Ah, that cracks me up. This is somewhat misleading. Alexander did not just go around killing random tribes. The Cossians were mountain tribes of brigands, they were a real nuisance, and needed to be dealt with. Alexander now began his march to Babylon. On his way there, there is quite an odd story, but one I find incredibly interesting. The story goes that Alexander was met by representatives from the West. That Libyans and Carthaginians came from Africa to congratulate him on his conquests, as did the Brutians, Lucanians and Etruscans from Italy. The Ethiopians, Scythians, Celts and Iberians all came to him, asking for friendship and for him to solve their internal squabbles. Alexander was definitely the most powerful man in the world. Now, among the names of all these visitors to Alexander is the name of a small but growing power in central Italy, Rome. The story goes that Alexander was greatly impressed by the Romans. Their freedom, their devotion to duty and order, and their political principles to such an extent that he prophesied that their country would be great in the future. I don't believe a word of that. No Roman sources ever mention a delegation, and Arian makes a very good point that why would a republic who detested monarchy send a delegation to a foreign king when they had nothing to fear or gain? Nevertheless, it is an interesting story. Now, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to take events slightly out of order for dramatic effect. Firstly, covering Alexander's future plans, before covering a series of terrible omens that led to his demise. So, what did he want to do? Well, he was working on a fleet which would explore the Caspian. No one knew what the Caspian even was. Was it a lake, a gulf, or a sea? What are its origins? He attempted to answer these questions, as well as exploring the south. Nearchus had reached Babylon, where Alexander was by this point, and he wanted to expand his fleet, build a harbour large enough for a thousand warships. Why did he want to do this? Because he wanted to expand into Arabia. Alexander had plans on turning the Persian Gulf into a region as prosperous as Phoenicia, and to do this, he would have to attack the Arabs. Alexander claimed that this was because they had not sent a delegation to him, but a much more likely reason is expansion for expansion's sake. Arian also states that Alexander heard the Arabs only worshipped two gods, Uranus and Dionysus. Uranus because he contained the stars and sun within him, and Dionysus because of his journey to India. So Alexander felt that he should be a third god. He had made that journey too. While Alexander could well have thought this, I doubt this is what the Arabs believed. 
the Greeks were not very good at understanding foreign religions. Alexander also tried improving the lives of his subjects. The Euphrates River had a rather large canal, the Palacopas Canal, come Gothard. While this was useful, it drained significant amounts of water from the Euphrates, completely draining the river in autumn, preventing the irrigation of the Assyrian plains. To stop this from happening, a sluice would be constructed to stop water going into the canal for some months, but this plan wasn't working, as it was constructed where the ground was soft wet clay, absorbing the water and rendering the sluice useless. To solve the problem, Alexander decided to make a new cutting into the Palacopas Canal, Alexander's last great achievement. Now, let us get on to the omens, starting with Alexander's entrance to Babylon. On the way to Babylon, Alexander was met by some of the Chalcians, the priests of Bel. They told him not to go any further, as he would die if he entered Babylon at this time. Alexander responded by quoting the tragic playwright Euripides. Prophets are best who make the truest guess. See Arian, Book 7, Chapter 16. The Chalcians begged him not to go west, but go east. You may expect Alexander to follow their wishes. He had been extremely respectful to the Chalcians on his first visit to Babylon. But he instead ignored them. There are three possible reasons for this. Firstly, Alexander suspected the Chalcians were trying to trick him. Alexander had been rebuilding the Temple of Bel, which had been destroyed by Xerxes, but once Alexander left Babylon, the workmen had been lazy, and had not finished. So Alexander proposed to set his own troops on it. The Chalcians did not want this. In the old days, Assyrian kings had devoted considerable wealth to Bel. This maintained the temple and funded sacrifices. But by this point in history, the Chalcians had the disposal of the god's property, and as there was nothing for the money coming in to be spent on, there was no temple to upkeep. If the temple was completed, they would lose this money. This could be the reason the Chalcians sought to delay Alexander's return. There is a second possible reason Alexander ignored the Chalcians, namely that he had no other choice but to go west. Aristobulus, who you'll remember was one of Arian's primary sources, says that Alexander was ready to obey the Chalcians, and tried to go around the western section of the city, and entering eastwards. But the land was swampy, and Alexander could not pass that way. Then there is the third reason which Arian offers. Perhaps it was simply time for Alexander to die. So, partly deliberately, and partly because he couldn't help it, Alexander ignored the wishes of the Chalcians and entered Babylon. This is where Alexander was soon hit by another terrible omen. One of Alexander's companions, Apollodorus, was concerned with the punishments Alexander inflicted on various governors, and so wrote a letter to his brother, Pythagoras, who was a seer, asking him if there were any dangers ahead for him. Pythagoras asked who caused him to worry. Apollodorus responded, Hephaestion and Alexander. So Pythagoras made a sacrifice with regards to the threat from Hephaestion, and there was no lobe 
in the victim's liver. He sent a message to Apollodorus, saying he had nothing to worry about, as Hephaestion would soon be out of the way, and so there was nothing to fear. The day Apollodorus received the message was the day before Hephaestion's death, so you can imagine Apollodorus's reaction when the sacrifice with regards to Alexander produced the same result. He immediately went to Alexander with the omen, as so to warn him of impending danger. Alexander was grateful, and once he reached Babylon, he sought out Pythagoras, wanting to know the exact result. Pythagoras responded, The victim's liver had no lobe. What? Alexander asked. Does that sign portend? Something, Pythagoras replied, of the utmost gravity. See Arian, Book 7, Chapter 18. Alexander was pleased he had been honest, but possibly worried about the omen. May I draw your attention to the rumoured last words of Kalanus, the Indian wise man, that he did not need to say goodbye to Alexander as he walked to his funeral pyre, as he would see him shortly in Babylon. Nothing happened for a while. Alexander kept himself busy with his projects and began to feel that the Chalcians were just trying to scare him. He wasn't going to die. Meanwhile, he was working on the sluice. While sailing on the rivers near the old Assyrian royal tombs which were built in the marshland, a gust of wind blew his sun hat off his head. A sun hat that was bound with the diadem, signifying royalty. It flew away and landed in a reed bed near a royal tomb. A terrible omen. The sailor swam after the hat and brought it back, but as he couldn't carry it without it getting wet, he had no choice but to place it on his head. Most ancient sources say Alexander gave the man a talent as a reward for getting the hat, and then had the man beheaded. There had been a prophecy telling him not to leave untouched the head that wore the diadem. Aristobulus reports that he merely flogged him, and some writers say the man was a Phoenician sailor named Seleucus. Yes, that Seleucus. Soon Alexander returned to Babylon, and either to get a drink of water or to play a game, he left the throne unattended except for a guard of eunuchs. A prisoner, who was present, saw the throne unattended and proceeded to sit on the throne. The eunuchs responded not by removing the man, but by mourning as though a disaster had happened. Upon interrogation, the man said he acted on impulse, although there is another version that says that a god brought him there and commanded him to take the king's robe and diadem. The god in question was Serapis, an Egyptian god of the dead. Our sources use the royal diaries to construct the following series of events. I shall work very closely from these, a combination of quotation and paraphrasing from Arian. A few days later, Alexander sat with friends drinking late into the night. He eventually decided to leave his friends, and retire when he bumped into Medeus, a companion who he was particularly close to. Medeus asked him to continue drinking at his own table, as the party would be merry. He went with Medeus and drunk with him before finally leaving. He then bathed, went to sleep, and once he woke, he returned to Medeus and continued drinking until late. Then he took a bath, ate a little, and went to sleep with a fever developing. The next day he was carried out on his bed, to perform his daily religious duties. 
and then lay in the men's quarter until dark, continuing to issue orders. He was then carried to the river, crossed it to a park on the far side, where he took a bath and rested. The next day, he took a bath, offered sacrifice, went to lie in his room, where he chatted to Medeus, and ordered his officers to report to him early the next day. He ate a little food, returned to his room, and then lay there all night with a fever. The next day, he bathed, offered sacrifices, gave instructions to the Arcus about the proposed voyage to Arabia, which should start in two days' time. The next day, he bathed, performing the religious duties, and was in constant fever from now on. Still, he gave his staff further instructions for the voyage. That evening, he took another bath, and moved to a building near the swimming pool the next morning. He offered sacrifices, and sent for his officers to give them orders, despite his weakening condition. The next day, he was carried to his place of prayer, and gave orders to his staff. Another day passed. He continued to perform his religious duties, but did not meet with his officers, asking them to wait in the court. His condition continued to deteriorate. He was moved from the park back to the palace. He was able to recognise his officers, but no longer able to speak. That night, and that day, and for the next 24 hours, he remained in high fever. By now the soldiers were distraught, and eager to see him. Rumours were rife that he was already dead. The men were allowed to see him. They felt past him. All they felt was grief, and helpless bewilderment at the thought of losing their king. He struggled to raise his hand, but there was a look of recognition for every soldier that walked past in his eyes. A group of officers slept that night in the temple of Serapis, asking the god if Alexander should be taken there. They were told to leave him where he was. I don't know what caused this to happen. Was Alexander being poisoned, or was it disease? We will never know. But we do know that this is when Alexander died, on either the 10th or 11th of June, 323 BC. He was just 32 years old.